Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. We would also like to thank The Vegas Room in the Historic Commercial Center in Las Vegas, Nevada for inviting us to their supper club to broadcast our show. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Michael Cavanaugh has been called the new voice of the American Rock and Roll Songbook by Billboard magazine. He is a charismatic performer, musician, and songwriter made famous for his piano and lead vocals in the Broadway musical Movin' Out. Handpicked by Billy Joel to star in the musical, Michael appeared in the show for three years with over a thousand performances and received multiple accolades. The show culminated in 2003 with both Grammy and Tony Award nominations. Michael was also recognized by Reuters as Entertainer of the Year for the private events market. Welcome, Michael, to the podcast. Hey, man. Wow, listen to you, like, in your awesome voiceover voice. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do I people realize that. that you're also the guy that sings the crazy high laser beam falsetto stuff? I don't know if people realize that. Now they know. I'm telling them. That's, for, for everybody listening, that's what Michael puts me through on his gigs. Yes, I do. I get to play keyboards and, and sing for Michael, and I sing a lot of the high parts. Yes, but so those those high ultra ultra high head voice yes amazing enough about me <laughs> let's talk about you okay so we've known each other for a long time now yes sir but and a lot of the people listening probably know you as well but for those who don't um, you sing you play piano you play guitar you play bass you play drums you write songs. You know, yeah, I I would say I, I sing, I play piano, I play guitar. I kind of play bass, and I play at the drums. <laughs> <laughs> He's very humble. He's very good at everything. Um, so I want to talk for sure about moving out and okay. your experience in moving out. But before we do that, I want to go back because you've been a professional musician and singer your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. How did that start? So, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm the youngest of four boys. And all my, all three of my older brothers are musicians. You know, they were kind of into heavy metal. Uh, so my first rock concert was Kiss. And, you know, I was, I was somewhat inspired by them. They, they, would, they would, you know, set up in the garage and they would plug their guitars and it would be really loud and the cops would get called <laughs> and I would hear that and it was like okay but you know I was always we didn't have a piano till I was seven if we would have had it earlier than that I would have been all over it so I was always singing stuff I was always kind of tapping on things I got a snare drum before I got a piano and when my mom got the piano I was just I attacked it the first day. I was all over it. I was making up songs. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, but I was, it, was, it wasn't very long until I was starting to figure out stuff by ear. I'm sure it was the same for you. You know, and uh, I remember my very first piano lesson. I was already playing and singing stuff by then. You know, my mom wanted me to take piano lessons. And I was kind of like, okay, 
I don't know if I need them, but you know, I was seven. I knew everything, right? <laughs> so, and then they started to tell me where I had to put my fingers. Like, wait a minute, you gonna tell me where I have to put my fingers? I, I'm seven years old. I think I got this down by now. Uh, I'm so thankful for that, by the way, because people who who see me play, even though I'm not that well trained, they they think that I am because my hand positions are decent. I took enough lessons, at least for that. Um, right. But so. As soon as I started playing and singing, I, I was into it. You know, I was into it, and I would play in the talent show, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. I wasn't, I wasn't confident enough to sing in front of my friends yet. That was, that was terrifying, the thought of that. My mom would always try to get me to sing. She still does, by the way, everywhere we go. And uh, Of course she does. Of course she does. Of course she does. Uh, so it was in – actually, it was fifth grade – the first time I played in the talent show with my buddy Mike Nadio, he was a drummer. We put together this little band. We were called Black Magic. <laughs> Black Magic. And, uh, yeah, good 80s name, right? Perfect. Good 80s name. Perfect. So uh, we played. I had I had this little Casio keyboard. I mean, the whole, the whole thing was probably, I don't know, two feet wide. These little mini keys. Oh yeah, and and I it was a white one, and I plugged it into my brother's Lab Series bass amp, and that was my keyboard amp. And nice. I put it on top, and we played, I we played some sort of version of Sympathy for the Devil, <laughs> Black Magic, <laughs> and Jumpin' Jack Flash. All right, just keyboard and drums. Wow. And it was fifth grade, and my buddy went to my buddy Mike went to Spencer's, and he got a strobe light. And some sort of, I don't know if he had a smoke machine or not. I think my 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 memory is saying smoke machine, but I don't think there was a smoke machine. This was for your fifth, school fifth, talent show? Fifth grade, fifth grade. So we're playing, and it's loud, and the kids, and especially the girls, are screaming. And I was like, wow, like, no girls ever screamed for me before. <laughs> and uh, so I pretty much knew I found what I wanted to do at that point. And then the next year... Between fifth and sixth grade is when I started playing guitar. Okay. My oldest brother, Mark, had an electric guitar, some some sort of Strat copy with ultra, I mean, the lowest action to this day I've ever played on a guitar. <laughs> like, it was crazy. Like, I, I don't know how he did it because it didn't buzz. At least my memory doesn't tell me it buzzed. Um, so he, you know, I was his little brother, and I wasn't allowed to touch his stuff. Right. So when he w- would leave, I would sneak into his room, and he had this poster. It's this famous poster I think a lot of people have seen with with a guitar on it, and it had all the notes on the guitar, and it had, like, these ocean waves, and there were pictures of mysterious-looking people in the waves. Okay. If I showed it to you, I bet you've seen it. Okay. So I, even though it had at the bottom, it had the chord shapes on the guitar— I didn't even use that. I just I just went to the neck and I put the notes together because I knew the notes on the chords and I taught myself to start playing that way. And then by the next year, we were playing guitar in, in the talent show and I actually had enough guts to sing. Nice. And, yeah, we did uh, Owner, of, Owner of a Lonely Heart <clears throat> and it was exactly like the record. Like, <laughs> it was perfect. Because like, that's every, such an easy song to pull every off. Every single little nuance was, I mean, we had it down. <laughs> Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was exactly not like the record. It was exactly the opposite of the record. Is there a home video of that floating around somewhere? Man, I, no, I, I wish there was. So we did that, yeah. and we did Heart and Soul by Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, great song. Yeah, well, it, their version's great. Their version's great. So so we did that, 
and I remember we had this, I bought this PA system. I still, it looked like something from Lost in Space. <laughs> like, it was, I don't even know what it was, but but we I bought it with my paper up money. And it started with Groove Freedom. And uh, so we did that. And then we played the home days, uh, which was like the local uh, town, you know, suburban fair that they that they okay. put on in the okay. And we played there, and and we were kind of in a position because our our equipment was terrible. We were getting made fun of by some of the older kids who want to be my friends, who I, I want to play in bands with later. Okay, okay, you know. Because they were, you know, we're playing like, I'm playing this little Casio keyboard and they're playing the cool stuff. They're playing Rat and Motley Crue. And you know, did, did they have somewhat real gear? They had way better gear. Way better gear. It, it, it's this buddy of mine, Charles CPL, uh, we wound up becoming best friends, but we were enemies at first, you know. Wow. He was a couple years older than me. And uh, so. By the time I was 12, my brother, my older brother Tom, was always playing in bands. And, you know, I kind of wanted to be in the band. He's like, Mikey, get out of here. Get out of here. So eventually his friends were like, uh, I think we should let Mikey in the band. So they let me in the band, but but they wouldn't let me sing at first. Okay. <laughs> my brother Tom told me, I, you know, he's like, you know, Mikey, you just don't have what it takes to be a lead singer, you know. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's it's it's. it's and you what, were playing keys in this band. I was playing keys. I was mostly we were playing in the living room. I played the piano. I still had that little crappy Casio. Okay. And then I got this crappy other keyboard called a Sile. It was oh, my, <laughs> it was so bad. And then I got this Honer, which was actually better. And somehow we we fried it. It had these holes in it. So I. I put a coat hanger in it. I thought I'd make a music stand out of it. And then the, and then the mic stand hit it, and it went and it, like, lit up, and it fried it. Oh. All I wanted was a Roland. I finally got one when I was, like, uh, 14. Okay. And I still have it to this day. The JX8P. Yeah, you still that have was, one, too. That was my first real keyboard as well. I had a Casio first, and then the JX8P, yeah. Now, which Casio did you have? Uh, I had— Like a um, CZ-101 or a CZ— Well— I did play a CZ-101 for a minute, but that wasn't mine. Uh-huh. That was actually the bass player's. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was nowhere near as good as the CZ-101. CZ but my parents bought it for me. It was my first keyboard. Yeah. Got me through a lot of gigs. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it was great. It was I great. remember, actually, but the, the style I had was so awful, but it had this big spot where the where the buttons ended, and my Casio was smaller, so I literally would duct tape my keyboards together. That was my rig. Hey, I would like spin the duct tape around and try to make it like a double-sided thing, you know? And I would duct tape it, and that was my rig. But we were playing, by the time I was 13, we were playing three nights a week in bars. Wow. And by the time I was 14, it was it was an average of four nights a week, sometimes five, uh, which I know you started real young, too. I started at 15. Um, my parents actually, I asked them at 13, and they said no. You got to be 15. They said, absolutely not. You got to play at a bar. Everyone knows you got to be 15. Yeah, right. And then I asked them again at 15, and and they they said, okay, only on weekends. Yeah. That that was probably a real wise choice because uh, my my high school grades were were a little rough because I was playing till – back then, all the gigs were were till 2 in the morning, even on a – I mean, in Middleburg Heights, Ohio, this little suburb on a Wednesday – Playing till two in the morning. Yep. I think these days people will be like, "No, nah, right." They would stop at midnight yeah. or something, you know. But anyway, 
So it was it was uh, it was rough. Like high school was right. <laughs> any, getting, anything I had like first period didn't stand a chance. Yeah, getting that diploma was tough at that point because when you know you, you're you're going to be a musician, yeah, this is what you're going to well, do. Somehow my senior year, I actually did really well. I actually, I don't know, in 11th grade I got mono, and uh, I was out for like three months. Wow. And then I started working with a. I was homeschooled just because I I couldn't go to school. So you kind of had a tutor. I had a tutor, and that was, and then it kind of made me want to learn. It was interesting. interesting. And then my senior year actually did well. I was I, I got all A's and B's. I think I matured a little bit too. Absolutely. But, but I was still gigging. I don't know how I did it to tell you the wow. truth. So I spent a lot of time on that portion of my life. But uh, then I worked in a duo with uh, with the same guy that I I was enemies with about keyboards. And I started playing guitar, so we were called the Wise Guys. Okay. Now, my band was called The Difference. First, we were called Something Different when I was like 13, 12, 13. Then we became The Difference. Okay. And then I, I, that band kind of fell apart when I turned 18, right when I graduated from high school. But at this point, you're, you're into your music career. Like, oh, yeah. This is it. You're, you're, I was a pro. I, yeah, I, I exactly. was a pro. People knew me around town as a pro. And I already had, uh, yeah, I mean, five five, six years under my belt of, right. of working all the main lounges. There were lounges back then. You know, we were top 40 bands. All around Cle- the Cleveland all area. All around Cleveland area. Sometimes we would go... Actually, we we did we did road gigs in um, South Carolina and Hilton Head when I was like 16 and okay. 17. Okay. That was exciting right. for back then. You know, we'd load up like five cars and have our yep. own little convoy. And we would go there. And... Uh, so I did that, and then, yeah, then I started this duo, The Wise Guys, with my buddy. And we did that, and then then I decided for a while I, I wanted to only do Christian stuff, so I quit playing in bars. Okay. And that was, that was uh, I mean, that was, that was great, except for the part where I couldn't make any money, <laughs> you know. And then I became a piano tuner for a while. That's I, right. I, I went know, to school for that for a year, yeah. You know what? Let's come back to that, because that's very interesting, um, we should talk about that. Okay. But I want to ask you about, um, you have two very unique qualities. I, I think they're unique. And and one is that you have perfect pitch, which for those of you listening who don't know what that is, that means that Michael can hear a note and instantly know exactly what that note is, whether it's an E, whether it's a G, whether it's two or three notes played at, at the same time, he hears what the pitch is. So. I'm curious as to when did you discover that you had something that not everybody had? I was actually my first piano teacher that discovered it. I was probably eight. Okay. And she said, you know what? I want to try something. Go go to the other side of the room and turn around, and I'm going to play Nelson. Tell me if you think you know what they are. So she did it, and I passed. And, you know, honestly— I've told you this before. I think you might have it too. <laughs> but it, it's the kind of thing that you have to – like have you heard of that guy Rick, Rick Beato on, on YouTube? Yes. With his son. Now, th- there are different levels of perfect pitch. Ooh. Like if I have perfect pitch, I'm in, the, I, I'm in the low level perfect pitch. Like this kid, you could sit on the piano and he'll tell you every note. It's you're pretty sitting amazing. On, right? And it's <clears throat> like my kids have it. My daughter has it. Wow. Ma- even Matthew has it. Matthew doesn't – he plays guitar a little bit, but he doesn't spend a lot of time. Wow. But it's the kind of thing that if you develop it early, mm-hmm. that's what Rick Beato has proven on YouTube. 
I, so both of his kids have it. Like I, as little girl, you mention a song, she starts singing it. She doesn't even think about it. She's singing it in the right key. I often wonder if if everybody could have it if they developed it early enough. Like do I you, don't know. I don't know. I, I think a lot more people could have it mm-hmm. if they mm-hmm. if they were actually. Rick says, and Rick knows a lot about it. I think he says that like a child can can learn it, but an adult can't. That makes sense. And he's even spoken to um, doctors and yeah, scientists. Yeah, and, you know. Uh, so it's, it's it's one of those crazy things. It's an interesting uh, subject. Um, and the other the other thing is, you have something called synesthesia. Mm-hmm. Um, explain what that is. So I thought everybody had it when I was a kid. The, the first thing I noticed it with was days of the week. Uh, were, were colors to me. Like Monday is black and Tuesday is yellow and Wednesday is kind of gold and Thursday is gray and Friday is red and Saturday is also kind of gold but more of like a ginger ale color and Sunday is dark blue. And I just thought everybody thought that. Wow. Like everybody knows that Friday's red. How could <laughs> Friday not be red? And then also letters of the alphabet but mainly the letters that are notes on the piano. Okay. So A is blue, B is like a dirty yellow, C is red, D is orange, E is white, but in lower octaves can be black. It's strange. F is gray, G is brown. So that's, and again, I thought everybody felt that way. That is so interesting. How could middle C not be red, right? So my daughter thinks middle C is green, and I I tell her she's nuts. So she has that as well. Yeah, she has that as well, yeah. And what about your son, Matthew? Uh, I think he might, but but synesthesia can be different for a lot of different people. Like some people will get smells. Some people will like see shapes and things like that. So I also have it with names. Like Jamie is a name to me that would be kind of red. Interesting. Karen, my wife's name is blue. Kenny, my brother is yellow. Dave, a name Dave, Gary, and Greg are all orange to me. I don't know why. So sometimes if I know someone named Dave, I'll call him Gary or Gary and Dave or Greg. And people are like, why are you calling me? Why are you calling me Gary? I'm like, well, because it's orange. Wow. That is really interesting to me. And those two things, uh, synesthesia and perfect pitch have been tied together. I think think you actually read something about that in a a book, didn't you? Um, I did, yeah. There's a great book called Musicophilia um, in which he he goes into that. and I recently interviewed um, an artist uh, named Nancy Good. She has synesthesia, but she's, she has it in a different way. Mm-hmm. She has it in, she describes it as f- frequencies, like, and it, and it affects her artwork. Hmm. Um, but yeah, she describes it in the way she has it, completely different, you know? Yeah. But it's such an interesting phenomenon. Some people taste stuff, some people... Wow. Yeah, it's it's. I think some people even get like physical feelings too. Like I, okay. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's a cross wiring of the senses or something. Yeah. So let's move let's move forward a bit, and let's talk about uh, moving out. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the musical moving out. Um, you were playing. You ended up playing in the piano bar at New York, New York mm-hmm. Casino in Las mm-hmm. Vegas, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Tell us a story. So I, beca- I became a piano bar guy in the 90s, uh, and that was 
that was a, f- a fun gig for me. I mean, it, it's not the most musical thing in the world. It really taught me how to work an audience, though, and it, it taught me how to kind of think on my feet. Uh, so, yeah, I was working in New York, New York. This was in 2001. Okay. And, you know, just like you, Billy Joel was one of my ultimate musical heroes. He was yep. probably number one for me. And, and uh, I got to know some friends that knew some of his friends. It started out as, as a, you know, like the Kevin Bacon thing, you yeah. know, like five degrees or whatever. It started out kind of like that. And then... Finally, uh, one of my friends became, my manager at the time became friends with his tour manager, whose name is Max Lubier. And Dean, who was my manager at the time, flew Max out to Vegas just to come hear me, just because Max was looking for something else to do, because Billy was starting to work less. This was a long time ago, and Billy was already starting to slow down. Mm -hmm. Like, he would say, "Eh, I don't want to do anything for three years. So Max came, and... We got along great. Max really liked me, and, you know, I was thinking maybe we could work together, and we thought maybe we would, and we did. But it was a couple months after that that Billy was coming into town for a concert, and I didn't know he was in a couple days early. So I got a call right before I was going to work saying uh, from, from Max saying he was going to bring Billy to hear me in the piano bar, which is, which is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. You've heard me tell this story before, haven't you? I've heard you, you tell yeah. the story, and it's it's still amazing because it's one of these stories that people would think it's made up. Yeah, it's kind of like a fairy tale. If they read it, people would think, you know what, they just made that up. But it's a it's keep going because it's true. Yeah, yeah, because you know, because I used to say when I was a kid, oh, yeah, I'm I'm not just gonna meet Billy Joel, I'm gonna know him. But I was just being some teenager just shooting off his mouth. That's right? so cool though. <laughs> so so anyway, so. Max says he's bringing, he's bringing Billy to the bar, and I'm freaking out, of course. And I, I go to the back of the casino, and I meet him, and I'm nervous. And, you know, he just says, hey, nice, nice to meet you. Relax. Don't be nervous. You know, so we're walking towards a piano bar, and he has no idea what kind of bar this is. Obviously, he's too famous to hang out in, in a piano he bar. He had never been to a dueling piano no, bar. No, never had. That's so he wasn't sure if we were going to be playing Scott Joplin or wow. Beethoven, or he had no idea. Wow. So he comes in, you know, he comes in and he's watching, and uh, he immediately was like, he was nodding his head and smiling. Like, he dug cause, it. Because we're, do- yeah, we're doing, you know, we're making fun of people. Like for, for those of you that have never been to a dueling piano bar, you know, it's kind of like Animal House with pianos, right? <laughs> so I remember, like, he was there and, and somebody was getting married, so we were having him up to the p- on stage, even though there's not a stage in that room. But yeah. Whatever on stage to, to announce that he just got engaged. It was his bachelor party, so he's walking up, and I just start playing, you know, and Billy starts cracking up like he loved it, you know, and so anyway, he loved it. So he was requesting songs like everybody else, and he requested me to play some Jerry Lee Lewis, and I did, and you think that that's because he wanted to see if you could play. Boogie woogie stuff. Do you I, think? He, I think he was just maybe, you know, he, maybe just to see. He was just trying to be nice too. He put a okay. twenty dollar bill down or okay. whatever. He was having fun. Yeah, he was having fun, <laughs> and then and then we played, it and I totally hammed it up, and I was you know playing with my feet, and right? Probably my butt or whatever yeah. else, and he was like, yeah, he loved it, <laughs> and I was afraid to even look at him, but I could see him out of the corner of my eye, and then everybody wanted to hear 
uh, Piano Man, and I didn't want to play Piano Man. And I'm in like, in front of Billy Joel. Yeah, and I look at him. He's like, ah, go ahead. And you know, I had a way of doing it. And on the very last course, I'd get everyone to hold a drink up in the air mm-hmm. and sway back and forth. And sure enough, he he played along, and he. <laughs> what an amazing moment that must it was have amazing. been. I wouldn't. I wouldn't look directly at him. So when I, you know, as you know, when I play the harmonica, I don't have the holder. I just stick it in my mouth and I block out parts with my tongue. And it's mm-hmm. really so easy, right? It's mm-hmm. so easy to do. And people ask me all the time, like, I could do so, all these other things. And they're more impressed by that than anything. <laughs> but even Billy, I remember Karen was standing there and, and, he, and he's nudging her saying, how'd you do that without the thing? Wow. How'd you play without the thing? Wow. And I think it's so funny that, that he even asked that because... Wow. It's so easy. But that night was really what ultimately led to this relationship and you ultimately getting the part on Broadway. Yeah. And the best part was that, you know, after the Piano Man thing, Max says, uh, hey, do you want Billy to sit in? And I was like, yes. So he got on the other piano across from me, you know, dueling piano bar. And he said, do you know uh, Little Huff and My Friends? I'm like, absolutely, Yes. (laughs) So he sang the first verse, and I'm singing harmonies, and then he, then he points to me for the second verse. I sang the second verse. I'm like, this is really happening. Wow. And then the third verse, we he sang the lead. I sang the harmony. You, you know how it is, right? And uh, then we did Don't Be Cruel, Elvis. And then by this point, the whole casino was kind of catching wind of what was going on. So even though there were there were... I don't know, probably a dozen security guards around us. The whole casino was starting to cave in. So finally, after we played, Billy comes up to me, gives me a hug. He says, great to meet you, kid. I got to go. And I wasn't sure if I was ever going to see him again. Right. But then, you know, two nights later, the concert, he was in concert two nights, and I was invited to hang backstage both nights. And he was just so nice. He was so nice. And I didn't didn't know anything about moving out or anything at that time. He was just being really nice guy okay and he liked me and i played i played a couple of my original songs for him i was scared to death to do that in the bar too but max was like play one of your songs you know so um wow one of them was give it time you know that we've that's done that's a great song that we've done before and i remember after the shows i was invited to go with i was invited to go to his hotel back then it was the four seasons mm-hmm. they said go to the steakhouse billy's gonna come to have something to eat and when he gets there we'll close the doors so he gets there, and they close the doors, and whoever's in the room is, is allowed to stay. Wow. But they close it. So the, Billy's just eating some food and, you know, uh, having a little dessert or whatever. And he says, hey, Michael, have a seat. Have a seat. So he's talking to me. He's like, he's like I liked your song. He's like, so what key was that in? I said, B-flat. He's like, you know what I like to do sometimes? For those of you who know what a relative minor is, you know, uh, that would be G minor to the to the B flat, and I don't want to get theory too much here, but yeah. you know, G, the keys of G minor and the keys of B flat kind of go together really well, right? So he said, sometimes when I'm writing in B flat, I pretend that I'm writing in G minor, and I was like, Wow, oh I got I got to write this down. I got Billy Joel's giving me songwriting advice. Wow, you know, so yeah, so ever since then, that that has affected that has affected me as a writer for sure. I would think anything Billy Joel mentions about his yes. writing process yes. would be something you remember. Yes. <laughs> and I remember he said to me, he's like, he's like, I really like that you write with real chords. I mean, he was honest. He said, he's like, he's like, you use real chords, not with the stuff I'm, some of the stuff I'm hearing today. He's mm. like, mm. 
It's like, I don't know if, if you can get away with that in today's music, but, but he appreciated it. I nice. remember he did, he did an interview with uh, the Associated Press, and they, they asked him about me as a writer. He said, he's a talented writer. He wow. said, he's a talented writer. He said, he uses real chords. He said, you know, kind of for, like from another era, you know, and yep. Uh, yep. I, I, I took it as a compliment. That is definitely a huge compliment. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then, wow. you know, the moving out thing, I didn't hear about that until about two months later. Tommy Burns is, is his guitar player and had been his musical director for years and years. And when the Broadway thing came about, Billy asked Tommy to, to put the band together. And back then, they didn't know if it was going to be the characters singing. I think they auditioned some characters that would kind of dance and sing. Interesting. And it was literally, you know, kind of Broadway. It's uptown girl. And Tommy saw that and he's like, <clears throat> Billy sees this, he's gonna, he's gonna nix the whole thing. He's he gonna wouldn't say want no his way. songs interpreted that way. He said, you know, let the dancers do their thing, let them act out the story, but we need we need a real rock band with 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 the piano man. Yep. You know, and and uh Billy and Tommy both thought that I would be the right guy. I mean, Tommy was the one, honestly, Tommy was the one who said, Kavanaugh's the guy, and Billy agreed. Wow. So so Tommy was kind of the, the musical director? Tommy the was the MD. Okay. I, well, yeah, I don't know if Stuart Molina might have been officially the musical director, who's another brilliant guy yep. who you know. Yep. Uh, but Tommy put the band together. He was in charge of the band. Okay. Tommy was in charge of the band and really worked worked with Stuart um, yeah, like, yeah. So, I mean, really, the moving out band was kind of Billy Joel's band. It was some you know, of Billy Joel's band. Right, okay. It actually wasn't, uh, not that much. It was Tom, It was mainly Tommy and some of the other guys subbed, like Mark Rivera would sub. Okay. Andy Shoshone, uh, uh, bass player, would sub. Dave Rosenthal was offered the job, but he, he handled more of the arrangements, and although sound programming. Okay. He would sub once in a while. But uh, but you got to know all those guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we were. I would do gigs with the Billy Joel band sometimes. Nice uh, corporate gigs, stuff like that. And back then it was Liberty DeVito, and and it was Mark and and Billy's band went through some changes. Like you know, Billy and and Liberty had a falling out. Yeah. Um, which I don't really know anything about. Uh, I do know that they they just took a picture together recently, which was pretty oh, cool. That's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine that uh, a Facebook friend of mine who manages the Lords of Fifty Second Street. That's okay. that's a, a lot of the old Billy Joel band members. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I guess him and Billy got together and they had breakfast or something, and nice. they so that's cool because they were friends for a long yeah, time. That's nice. Whatever to hear. went down, and you know Chuck Berge is Billy's new drummer, and Chuck was a moving out drummer, and Chuck's a great friend of mine. So I just wish everybody happiness. Yeah. Crystal Taliaferro, she's incredible. She just went through cancer. Um, oh wow! She just finished her chemo and, and she's doing well. So I've been praying for her oh, and just wow. telling her I love her and I'm thinking about her. Absolutely. But the Billy, the, the Billy band, yeah, they're still they're uh, really cool guys. I've done a bunch of gigs with them. Um, and so that so that was a life changing moment for you, obviously. Get, yeah, landing that gig, right? Yeah, that was crazy. So it was it changed everything, right? It, it's the reason it's the reason I and we get to do these crazy gigs, you know, with the Boston Pops and whatever else that we get to do. Yeah, t- you know what? Let's go into that a little bit because the opportunity to to star and be the lead in a Broadway show, what did that do for you? 
what opportunities opened up and and tell everybody what kind of gigs that yeah that, that you've done over the years since moving out mm-hmm. well as soon as i started doing moving out i started doing things like the today show right and regis and kelly back back when that's what the show was called, Mm -hmm. and Dateline, and I would be on CNN, and I would be interviewed on CNN. I would would do... Wow. I mean, one thing after another. I I forget about... There were so many. I forget about some of them. The U.S. Open, the the tennis U.S. Open. Yep. We opened it on the court, you know, playing, and the dancers would do a thing, and there were so many things like that. Performed on the Tony Awards. The Tony Awards, Radio City. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I would sing the national anthem at the Knicks games, or I would sing it. Uh, I did. I did this other thing at Madison Square Garden. Um, it was like the. It was gymnastics. It was right before the Olympics. It was some sort of world championship. Okay. It was basically the last event before the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So it was one thing after another. I would do all these. They called them radio tours, where I'd go from one radio station to another, and they would all be at like five in the morning. It was. I mean, it was a lot, right? And right. they always wanted me to sing "New York State of Mind," right? Which is like being shot out of a cannon. Yep. Uh, and it was tough. But it was amazing. <clears throat> yeah. And it was exhausting. I mean, I gotta be honest. I, I was being approached by. I mean, Clive Davis called us when he heard me on Broadway. said, I love Michael's voice. Get me his material. So I sent him my songs, and he said, I really, he, he wrote to me. He said, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed your songs. I don't hear a hit yet, but I'd like to hear more. And I was so exhausted, right. I never sent him more. Right. And I remember I wrote him back. We were emailing each other. I said, can I get with one of your writers? Can could, could I co-write? And he said, he said, I regret to say that that's really something the publishers handle. We don't really do that. He said, but I think you're talented, so so send me more. And I was Wow. I would but, meet with him, I would meet with the head of Universal. So Broadway, as amazing as it was, it it cooked me by the time it's, it's grueling to to do that many shows per week, week <laughs> after week. It is. And it as is many grueling. songs as you were singing per night in the show. Yeah. So yeah, I sang the whole show. It was yeah. two hours long. For those of you who don't know, there was no dialogue on the show. It was all told through music. There were a few instrumental numbers, but I sang somewhere. It's funny. You would think I would know the exact number. I don't. Right around 24 songs. Wow. That's and it was a lot. six nights a week That's at a lot. first. Eventually, they let me go down to five. And it was it was hard. Yeah. And, and I've learned so much since then about taking care of my voice. Uh, by necessity, I by bet. By necessity. <laughs> but it opened the doors for so many things. So even when the Broadway show ended, which was the very end of 2005, it's hard to believe it's been that long. It's crazy. It's almost been 15 years since we closed. Wow. I know. But it, Oh, I was wrong on my intro. I said 2003. Th- that we closed? Well, I think that's what your website says. The oh. show culminated in 2013. Oh, no. Uh, I'm, I'm wrong. It just says your Grammy and Tony nominations were in 2003. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yes, because we opened, we opened in October of 2002, so there those nominations go. came in the next year. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, so we ended at the end of 2005. Okay. I was so fried. You were burnt out. I was so burnt out that I said, and you know, I saved up a bunch of money mm-hmm. and I sold my house in New Jersey for way more than I paid for it. Cause the real estate was just booming then. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just said, you know, I'm just going to chill for six months and do some corporate gigs. And I wound up getting a lot of those. Got it. And this was, this was right around the time I... I met you, mm-hmm. and I was I was just starting to put a band together in mm-hmm. Vegas because I wanted to move back out to Vegas after the show. I think I just, we met 
pretty close to when the show ended, when you had come back. I think I met you the first time, maybe, I don't know if it was before the show ended or if it was right as the show was ending or something. I saw you playing with Clint Holmes. Yep. And I was like, dang, I wish I could hire that guy because I needed a keyboard player. I was like, man, he plays keys, he plays guitar, he smiles all the time, and he sings his butt off. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, I started to go see you in Santa Fe to make you to make me even more impressed. Actually, made me want to quit music. <laughs> like every time I see Santa Fe, I want to quit music. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the Clint Clint decided he wanted to work on other stuff, and yeah. you know, you were doing other things, so it just kind of worked out. It I said, "Hey, out. I got a gig in Hawaii." Yeah, that's got right. Got a gig in Hawaii. That's right. And you're like, "Yeah." That, that's how we met. Uh, that's how we met, and uh, that was back in 2006. 2006, I think it was. I think it might have been, yeah. I think, I think it might have been, oh seven. Yeah. B- before we started actually yeah. working together. Yeah. And that opened the doors to this this amazing run that 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 I and we have had with these symphony orchestras. Yeah. It's been incredible. Like I, I felt like it was it was like the next chapter. Right. Like I got to do Broadway, and now suddenly it you know it started with the Indianapolis Symphony. They saw me on Broadway and they were interested in in doing a show. Uh, featuring the music of Billy Joel, but you know, starring me yeah. and whoever, and you know, my band, and yeah. we worked on that for like over a year before we actually wow. debuted it. It's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. I would fly to Indianapolis, and they were they were fantastic. Yep. You know, so uh, and then I remember we launched the show. I remember we we were there for a whole week, mm-hmm. and it was the first time any of us had played with a symphony before. So we were green. Oh yeah. And I remember Jim Guthrie, my my sound man, my production manager. <laughs> the first thing he does when we're rehearsing is he cranks up the subwoofers. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember. The that. stage is vibrating, and I could tell all these violinists and cellists, and you know, woodwind players that they're all looking at us like they want to kill us. They were flipping out. They were flipping out. After and we're the, just we're just thinking it's a normal sound check. Yep. yep. And uh, so we learned very quickly we did. that we had to do things differently. And Johnny, you know, my drummer, you know, had to learn that it's it's different in the symphony world. Yep. Right? It's different. But we adapted quickly. I we think did. by the end of that week we had it down. Yeah. After day one we were all traumatized. But uh <laughs> But yeah, by the by the third day, we we kind of figured it out, and everybody settled down and yeah. figured how to do this, right? Yeah. And so, so the show really moving out really opened up into these corporate events, the symphony world. Mm-hmm. Um, you also do a lot of solo gigs, piano and vocal yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Most of those, yeah, most of those are are uh, are corporate, you know, private type yeah. gigs, you know, yeah. uh, and. It just it opened the door for a lot of things. You know, I made a record of my own in, in two thousand was it two thousand nine, I think it came out. And really with just a phone call from some of Billy's people, I got signed to one of Warner's labels, ADA Warner. Nice. And it was nice. It was I, I had that moment where, you know, my daughter could run into the back then there were actually still record stores. Or, or in a Best Buy, and she would see my CD. I have a video of her running up to it and hugging it. She's so that's excited. That's great. And that's your in-color CD. That was the in-color CD. That's, a, was, great, that's a great CD. I appreciate it. It was, it was produced by Rob Mathis, who literally is a genius. Yes. And he is, you know, Sting's right-hand man, MD, does all of his orchestrations, you know, does everything from producing Panic at the Disco to Michael McDonald yep. to... 
you know, songwriter uh, as well. Oh, just tunes just incredible, just incredible. So we did that, and you know, and this all really was because of moving out. All this stuff happened, and and luckily, you know, it, it's still benefiting me to this day. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. People still they still know the show. They still remember the poster. You know, when they designed that moving out poster, I had no idea that they were going to make my head bigger than anyone else's body. Like, I saw that. I was like, whoa. I remember Manny Eisenberg, one of the producers, he comes up to me when, they, when I walk in the theater. He's like, I just saw the new poster. I think you're going to like it. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. So for, for the listeners right now, just Google the poster for the Broadway show moving out. You'll see my giant noggin. And, yeah. you'll, and you'll see what he means. So, Michael, with the, with the time we have left, uh, tell people where they can find you, find you online and interact with you. Well, they can find me on my website. That's for sure, michaelcavanaugh.com. It's Cavanaugh with a C, C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. And I want to tell all of you young artists out there, if you have a last name like Cavanaugh, pick a stage name. <laughs> Go be like Michael James or something. Like, just do that. Just It'll just make your life easier. Okay. So uh, you can find me there. I'm, obviously, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on YouTube, and I'm on Instagram. And I, I guess I'm on Twitter, but honestly, kind of not really. I, I think my last tweet was like in 1985. <laughs> uh, and lately, because we're still in the COVID-19 era as mm-hmm. we record this, mm-hmm. Um, you're doing a lot of Facebook live, yes. uh, live performances yes. that, that are on your Facebook page, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, twice you a week. Twice a week. Most weeks, yeah. And, and honestly, it, it's I'm doing it for a lot of reasons. I'm doing it to cheer people up. I'm doing it to keep my chops in shape as far as piano playing. Right. Definitely my voice. Uh, and even my guitar playing. Yep. And honestly, it's keeping my sanity. Yeah. You know, I, I heard, uh, I was listening to a radio show yesterday, and uh, it was actually the it was the Dave Ramsey show, but he had one of his uh, psychologist people on there. And he said, if you're looking, if he said, if you're, if you're just stuck inside the gloom, that's a John Mayer line. If you're stuck inside the gloom, uh, the best way, the best thing you could do is serve, do something for somebody else. Yep. And honestly, just the fact that I, I do these these live shows on Facebook, YouTube, the fact that it's it it changes people's days, it changes their week. Like yeah. it, it makes me feel like I have real purpose still, even yeah. though there's not a stage for me to go on. So it's been a lifesaver for me. It really has. Yeah. And so, and so yeah, you're not charging anything. They're free. They're free. Just go to your Facebook page or your YouTube page and subscribe and and like the like his music page and all of that. Michael Cavanaugh. Always great to talk to you. My brother. Thank you for doing this podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Have a good one. You too. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S.com. Thanks again to The Vegas Room for hosting us. Visit thevegasroom.com to find out more about this great supper club. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening.